warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Hi, my name's Scott. With me today is Stephen. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm fine. A wet and windy Sunday morning. I like these sort of mornings at weekends. It's just comforting as autumn sets in. How are you? Yeah, you're sitting in the warm, you're looking out at the the drizzle and you can just have some, you know, some warm baking and and watch a a comfort film and that's that's Sundays. That's what we we were used to in the old days. A lot of the films that we're reviewing, these are the ones that were on television in, in the afternoon, weren't they, after your Sunday dinner? So this, this is one of those days. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of racking my brains to try and find a movie to watch after I've had my dinner this afternoon because it's got to be right. You know, I can't put on nothing too heavy, nothing too taxing. It's just got to be... It's what we call a Sunday afternoon movie, hasn't it? It's got to be something probably from yeah. the 50s or the 40s. Or, yeah, I don't know. I've got some ideas, but... A lot of them we're going to be discussing coming up. Problem um, is, it's too much choice, isn't it? There, there is. I mean, the list that you gave me when you know I approached you to help out with with the hosting duties here, that ran into about fifty or sixty titles, and you didn't have to think too hard to get those fifty or sixty titles, did you? Mate, no, to be honest. no, I didn't. <laughs> and I bet you thought of another couple of dozen more without. You know, uh, well, yes, I. I... Decided not to send them all over just in case it was overloading the whole. Uh, Keep it as a surprise as well. That's the thing. Well, we we said we I like the element of surprise when you announce what movie you're gonna present to us next time. So yeah, we'll bear that in mind. Um, the movie we've selected or I've selected for you today is it a Sunday afternoon movie? Um, I no, I don't <laughs> think so. I think because it's the subject matter and because it's. It's more of a drama and and rather than a um, like a historical epic or a, um, a, a normal wisdom comedy or anything. Mm. I'm not sure it's a, a Sunday afternoon. Um, although you know, it, it as we know, it was on television um, the other day. So. Luckily for you, yeah. <laughs> God bless Talking Pictures TV. We, we we mention these guys quite often because. If you were to turn on Talking Pictures TV at any point during the day, apart from when they're showing some of their old um, uh, cowboy series from America or whatever they've got on, it's a film that smalls smack bang into the the wheelhouse of what we talk about. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, it's... And as, as proved, <laughs> I, I was struggling to get hold of a, a watchable copy of, of, of Yield to the Night, mm-hmm. and um, just when I was uh, getting a bit desperate and having to ask you to help me out you um you realized it was actually been transmitted that evening it was um, at yeah. midnight 
yeah. on Talking Pictures. So yeah, God bless brilliant. them. They, they are our unofficial sponsor. God bless you, Talking Pictures TV. We love yeah. you. Because Bedazzled's on this evening as well, by the way. Was, is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. You see, you, you probably, ra- rather than try to pick a film, probably just put put the TV on and just see what's showing. <laughs> that might be a way to do it, because they do their schedules a month in advance, so we could actually do it that way, mate. That might be the best way of dealing with it. <laughs> Okay, without further ado, it is Yield to the Night, starring the fabulous Diana Dawes. We'll be back after this. Between 1947 and 1956, Diana Dawes was Britain's blonde bombshell. The UK's answer to Marilyn Monroe, many said at the time, Diana did her best to live up to the title, appearing in movies with titles such as Good Time Girl, Bikini Baby, Young and Willing and Man Bait. In fact, today's review, Yield to the Night, was retitled Blonde Sinner for the American market, but it proved to be an important turning point in Dawes' career. For the first time, the siren from Swindon proved to British audiences that she wasn't just Marilyn's rival, An unfair comparison, if truth be told, for there was no way that Diana Dawes would ever reach the iconic heights of stardom that Monroe had attained. And apart from the obvious similarities with regard to looks, the pair didn't really have that much in common. For the first time in her career, Diana Dawes took a dramatic turn playing the heartbroken Mary Hutton, a woman who has just murdered her lover's mistress and is now seen spending her final days in prison recalling the events that led up to that moment and desperately hoping for a reprieve from her sentence. If there was ever any doubt that Diana Dawes could act, just take a look at this movie. Dawes is exceptional in this and just superb on every level. Where Marilyn, chiefly in her later movies, would often play a version of herself with just some small twist or tweak to keep the audience interested, Dawes here plays a character that is losing hope, losing her sanity and about to lose her life. We don't think about the gorgeous figure or the beautiful face in this movie as Dawes gives a performance that is both powerful and heart-rending at the same time. Dawes' character was based on Ruth Ellis, the last woman to be hanged in the UK the year before the release of this particular movie. Director J. Lee Thompson had a career at the helm of various different movies within different genres. Possibly best known for Ice Cold in Alex or The Guns of Navarone, he also directed the original Cape Fear, a couple of the Planet of the Apes movies, and a string of cookie-cutter Charles Bronson action flicks in the 80s. He had worked with Diana Dawes the year before in a comedy entitled An Alligator Named Daisy, one of those typical British comedies that also included a veritable who's who of British comedy at the time, Margaret Rutherford, Stanley Holloway, James Robertson Justice, and the superb Richard Wattis but it's revealed to the night that Thompson manages to set out his stall for his future career. It really is top flight direction here as Thompson manages to catch the subtle little things like the relationship between Diana Dawes and Yvonne Mitchell playing the guard. And here, his camera work doesn't actually impose on what unfolds on the screen. More Diana Dawes movies to come in future episodes, but for now, here's Blonde Sinner or yield to the night.
Yield to the Night, released in November 1956, also known in the USA as Blonde Sinner. Directed by J. Lee Thompson, starring Diana Dawes, Yvonne Mitchell, Michael Craig. It tells the story of a young woman who's been abused and taken advantage of by all the men in her life, and she finally finds a man she believes who truly loves her. However, she snaps when she finds out that he too is cheating on her. And she snaps in quite a dramatic way. <laughs> yeah. The opening sequence to this movie is instantly attractable to me because it starts off on Trafalgar Square. And it's the Trafalgar Square from 1956, obviously. And in the briefest of shots, you can see my office where I work. Oh, right. Very briefly, because my office overlooks Trafalgar Square. And it hasn't changed a great deal, apart from the fact that the top half of it is now pedestrianised by the National Gallery. Mm. And there are no pigeons. (laughs) <laughs> the pigeons have all gone, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was, you, that was you and your air rifle, wasn't it? It so. was, yeah. yeah. It was like, like the sixth floor of the Texas Book Depository. There's me out my office window. <laughs> <laughs> How many shots can you get off in a minute? Exactly. That's How many question. pigeons can I do? Well, yeah. yeah. Um, Tell me about no, this I, movie. Absolutely. The, the, mm. the, the, the opening credits, the opening scene, um, I, I managed to see that that's visible you can watch it on youtube that's um that is on youtube that yeah. opening bit and um that the, the stylishness of it um actually you know it i, I was sold straight away good to be honest on on that the i don't have the same connection with as with you uh, with the location no. but absolutely the the way it was done and the way that she you know was following her on her journey towards actually um committing the crime Mm. Which um, she she ends up being imprisoned. It's, I suppose you know, in in some ways, it's a bit sort of like um, Columbo, where you find out right at the beginning about the actual who does the murder, and then it's just a matter of finding out how Columbo worked out, uh, <laughs> you know, how they did it. But in this case, you you're working out why she did it. It's definitely guilty, and that, yeah. And that's what yeah. the the, the story is about. Yeah, it's it's not about. Is she guilty or not? She's, you know, see right from the beginning, she is guilty. But it's the whys and the wherefores of, of why she did it, which builds the context up as the film comes about with the flashbacks. That 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 opening credits, you know, okay, it is incredibly stylishly done. Yeah, and it works. It's yeah. not it's not a style of a substance. It does actually work. Um, that that just sets sets the rest of the film um going. And I, and I do, you know, as I say, I, I bought in straight away on that context because it was so well done. Um, so, you know, straight away I was thinking, this is very much a worthy film for me to be watching. Um, so no, you know, no regrets right from the beginning. Even if that scene alone had been been um, the best part of the film, and then the rest of it wasn't wasn't even watchable, I'd still, you know, be able to go around telling people about how good that opening scene was. So I'm gathering this is your first time watch, obviously, for for this movie. It is, yeah. Yeah, and you're aware of Diana Dawes. We were speaking earlier, weren't we, that there's there's two eras of Diana Dawes. There's the Blonde Bombshell era from the 50s and the early 60s. And Point then yeah, go into the 70s. It's the more comedic, you know, she appeared in... She was in Theatre of Blood, wasn't she? That's the Diana Dawes that we remember as kids, I think, that she was always on the panel shows or cropping up on Saturday night entertainment programmes. You know, she was... More of a celebrity than a film star yeah. when when we were growing up, so it's nice to go back to where she got that reputation from. That stardom was born in the fifties, 
but this isn't a typical Diana Dawes film of the 50s. No, no, absolutely not. And I mean, it's, you know, it's her, not only is it her, her favourite film of her own um, starring, but she, I think she was quoted at some point in the 70s in some interview actually saying it was the only good film that she did. Pretty um, much, yes. So, so um, <laughs> you know, which, you know, maybe is a bit too disparaging about some of the other films that she was in. But um, absolutely, that I think this is the pinnacle of, recognition for her and her talent which was a lot of the time ignored due to her looks to be honest yeah so so absolutely if you know this is this is the diana dawes film um if anybody is going to watch something of diana dawes to actually get a feel for who she really was yeah i mean you get elements of the the blonde bombshell bit in the flashback parts because this is a film of of two movies as such there's the flashbacks and then there's the prison sequences but it is, I, be, I believe this is the film that she is most famous for. Quite rightly, you know, I believe she might have been nominated for a BAFTA for this. And and any doubts that she was just a blonde bombshell that, that couldn't act are instantly dismissed in this movie. She gives a staggering performance in this, I think. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it shows that beneath the peroxide and the, the makeup and the pout and the, mm-hmm. the, the the shaped dresses and stuff that she, you know, th- there was talent there that was perhaps ignored by other people. Um, and it's it's not it's not massively dramatised either. It's the subtlety in her performance in a way that actually proves her talent rather than a big dramatic expression. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't go over the top at all in this movie and a lot of it very cleverly is her thoughts there's a lot of her you know her thoughts are you can hear what she's thinking and she does all the acting with her eyes you know she yeah. just you know when she's reading books or looking through poetry and things like that yeah absolutely and she's and she's in almost every scene yes there's yeah. there's i don't i can't i can't remember a scene she wasn't in um there were some bits where she you know it started off the scene with somebody else in a room and then she walks in yeah but I can't think of any of the scenes she wasn't actually in. That's true, actually. Thinking about it, I don't think she was in. Yeah. yeah. Typical of a, a Real Britannia movie. It features a few famous faces. Oh, yes. All right. Let's, let's, let's have a little look. I mean, Lee J. Thompson is the director. He would go on to direct Guns and Ever Rome. Um, oh, right. Okay. I'm sure that's Lee J. Thompson. Yeah. I noticed he'd, um, I noticed he'd directed... Um, film previously by the same author because this is adapted from a book yeah and um i thought oh right and then uh, apparently uh, just from reading i found out that um because i went to look into that and found out that um he, he was married to the woman um oh, what the, the road the... <laughs> so they, they'd got together you know they got together during the, the, the making of the previous book that he'd adapted for uh, oh. the first film and oh. then this was um this was a, a, another novel that she wrote, and to be you know, perfectly honest, I don't see there's any nepotism in there because it's you know, it's a, a great story and well told. Yeah. So uh, you know, the, the, no no um, disparaging remarks about the fact that they were they happened to be in a relationship and they were collaborating in that way. But um, but yeah, so I didn't know it, I didn't know it was it was Guns and only gone on to. I just sort of I more looked back to rather than forward with him, really. But. Yeah, there's a few. I mean, the year before, he did a film called An Alligator Named Daisy, which also featured Diana Dawes. But I'll tell you what you all know him for. He was the director of Ice Cold in Alex. 
Oh, right. Um, the original Cape Fear he directed. And believe it or not, a couple of the Planet of the Apes movies in the 70s, the sequels, he was, he was in charge right. of those. So. Well, I, reckon, I recognised his name. Yeah. But, I, but I, I, as I say, that was just at the start when it came on the screen. Um, I recognised his name, but yeah. I didn't recognise where from. But now, obviously, um, I, I, now I know <laughs> where, why I know him from places. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's there's a there's a good pedigree there. I mean, finished his career directing all of those um, Charles Bronson movies that for Canon Films in the eighties. You know where Charles Bronson would just play this cop, oh, <laughs> the, right, these, yeah. these random serial killers and things like that. None of the Death Wish type ones, but you know all of those type Murphy's Law and things like that. He was the director. Um, let's chat about Michael Craig, who is the boyfriend, the cheating boyfriend in this. Not the greatest actor in the world. Certainly, no. certainly not the greatest actor in this movie. Um, and unbelievably, he was pretty much first choice for a long time to to take the role of James Bond at the, at the Doctor No stage. He was he was top of the list for a long, long time. I can see um, when he was when he was walking around just in his vest and sort of showing off his sh- you know his shoulder width. Yeah. Um, but then the rest of his body was quite skinny beneath it, so I don't know. Um, but um, I, I, I can see that maybe facially there's a bit of a George Lazenby about him. Yeah. So maybe there's, maybe there's that was a look they were going for. But, um, yeah, talent-wise, he wasn't the greatest in this. I mean, maybe, you know, been next to, you know, acting next to Diana Dawes, where she was acting her socks off, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, maybe didn't show him off to his best, but... Yeah, I, I wouldn't have expected him to be regarded as the greatest talent anywhere, because <laughs> um, there was there was a few bits where it was acting rather than being the role sort of thing, mm. and that that maybe didn't fit too well in the context of of who he was meant to be playing. Yeah, yeah, it, it was the one that sort of stuck out for me that, as you say, because Diana Dawes was throwing in this performance of a lifetime um that jarred a little bit that she was bouncing off this this character that wasn't as good if you know what i mean so yeah but a great me i'll tell you what i liked talking about supporting cast is the whole ensemble of the prison warders the female prison warders that we see we meet four or five of them yes all, yeah all individuals all little different characters all different little quirks you've got the one that's that's been there 25 years and knows everything, you know, you've got the one that's a bit more motherly with a little cheeky sense of humour, and then you've got Yvonne Mitchell, who is the one that turns out to be the, the real sort of star of, of, you know, that little group of, of female prison warders. And then you have the governor and supporting cast of Chaplin and things like that, which we'll probably talk about. But that whole group, you know, you get a real insight as to, to what Death Row was like in the 50s, because bearing in mind... Wasn't Ruth Etting? I think she was, she was killed um, the year before the last woman to be hanged, wasn't she? I think. Oh, Ruth. Yeah, Ruth Ellis was. Um, she was hanged between when the book was written and when this was filmed. Yeah. So, which is why the sort of it's it seems to be quite often said about how um, this film is not about her. 
um, more often than I've seen anybody saying it is about her. So mm. I don't you know. But uh, one of those strange quirks <laughs> where the denial is stronger than the actual. But, so it wasn't. So it wasn't actually about her, and obviously the context of her actual story. But it um, it was timely. Yes. That um, that as capital punishment was on the agenda for people to be considering that this film came out and the book had come out and then in between that the the Ruth Ellis which probably helped get this film made to be honest with the the appetite for a, a female um death row film being done yeah and I I think that although it's it seems to be regarded as being a, a anti-capital punishment film but I think if you're judging from the the poster, um, yeah. which is you know, would you hang this woman? Yes. Um, it says in the poster, and I think more it's it's, it's pushing, not necessarily abolition has been its message, but questioning whether the death penalty is is right, rather than actually just pushing as a message overtly that it should be abolished. And you know, obviously it it didn't get abolished straight away, but it was it was something that was part of the zeitgeist at the time and, and this hit at exactly the right time for it and you know the subsequent abolition was you know came about but this film did re- did help push the question into people's minds about whether just because somebody had killed whether that was right yeah. for them to be uh, you know to have the death penalty whether that was appropriate for everybody who just you know happened to have killed somebody so yeah it, it, it was that time I think that that era mm. when this this stuff was being discussed and being considered by the establishment, and therefore this film got it to be a, a helped have it discussed by the populace, Definitely. rather than just being the the judges and jury system. Yeah, I, th- I think what I liked about this aspect of it, having that supporting cast, is they focus quite a bit on how it affects them as well as the person that's due to be executed. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, the mother, the, um, Dandy Nichols. Dandy uh, Nichols, the mum, yeah. I mean, it was that was all like, oh, woe is me, Dandy Nichols. It's like, you know, how am I supposed to cope with you being here on death row? Yeah, I was going to go out and collect some some signatures for the petition, but I couldn't show my face in front of people. Yeah. Um, whereas the 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 young brother, um, him going out and doing it, and him, you know, making himself, you know, distraught over over the whole thing was was different and then the the way the the, the ex husband or the, the estranged husband was taking time off work Yeah. You know, to, to come and visit her and making a point of mentioning. Yeah, it's, it's not a problem. It. Yeah, it's not a problem. Yeah. I've managed to get time off work. <laughs> yeah. But also uh, the... he's he's a famous face as well that we'd seen in a number of particularly the um Ealing comedies like Passport to Pimlico, I can't remember his name, but he's a face you just recognise from lots I of things as well. I think he's in a couple of carry-ons as well. Yeah. I'll tell you who is in this. Uh, the guy who plays Roy um, at the nightclub tries to get Diana Dawes to go out for a drink. He's oh, the cheeky yeah. chappy, and then he turns yeah, up on her doorstep yeah, on New yeah. Year's Eve. That's a guy called Michael Ripper. Yeah. Now, Michael Ripper, when we start looking at the Hammer Horror films, and this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but I'm pretty sure that Michael Ripper has appeared in more Hammer Horrors than Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing put together. Well, uh, we'll, we'll investigate that fact. Yeah, because it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me because he's you know he did seem to be in in a lot of them absolutely. Yeah, it was always like the coach driver or the the innkeeper or the the father of one of the victims of the vampires, you know. Yeah. 
but yeah, Michael Ripper, quite a famous face. The, as I say, the the husband, again, whose name I can't remember, well, um, Jeffrey Keane, the chaplain. Um, yes. He was, what was he? He was one of the ministers, wasn't he, in, in the later Bond films, the more Roger Moore films, um, after Bernard Lee had died um, and there was no M. It was always Jeffrey Keane as the minister would be yeah. um, would be yeah. there. And the doctor is Liam Redmond, who was in quite a few movies as well. Yeah, but, but just yeah, you're, so, you're mm. right about it, the impact it showing the impact it has on the on the people around the actual condemned the the, the prison officers who are looking after it because obviously some of them are quite distraught about what what their you know their part in the process yep. is and them, them actually having sympathies for her or trying to actually keep her going so they're trying to actually um, be, be nicer or be stricter depending on what's necessary and that, but as you say the family as well and, yeah. and that. The the only I think the only bits it missed out on, which is why it could perhaps be seen more sympathetic towards the killer and abolition, is it didn't really show any people from the side of the the, the woman who had been killed as far as them. No. Um, but then I suppose she wouldn't have had any contact with them, and this was all from her point of view. So. Yeah, it's it, the the governor makes a point I think of saying. That it's it's not just you that's affected by this. I think she says, you know, these people have to have to cope with what they're doing on a daily basis as well as you. And what was it? It was something. There was one scene, I think, where she says, um, "It's literally in the run up, the days before the execution." Uh, that's right. They they say that they're going to give her a sedative, and that's that's going to make it easier for you, but also easier for everybody else or something. There's a, there's that particular part of it. Yeah. That, that really sort of hit home. I love the film. Um, I, I like the fact. I'm not a massive fan of like flashbacky type movies where they keep going backwards and forwards. And and the way this is divided into two movies, I actually was enjoying the prison side of things more than the the reason as to why she's in prison side of things. You know the history of what happened. Because I think her performance in that prison was just so breathtaking compared to. Her doing the cheesecakey pin-up bit, leading up to it. I think that I, I can understand where you're coming from on that, and I think that the the they could have got away with having more time spent on the prison aspect, mm. um, because you know particularly there's there's so many bits um, that are tiny little symbolic things or little things that were being said yeah. in in the prison environment that were that that did. Like we said before, about indicate about how the the, the prisoner prison officers are actually coping with the situation themselves. But there's there's lots of little things that you you're seeing from the almost micro expressions on Diana Dawes' character's face when they're saying things like you know, um, oh, another another Monday, and you're thinking, well, it might be her last, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and all that kind of thing, and then you know the the thing with the light not being switched out until yes. the day day in which she goes through to her execution. That's the only that's the the, the, the only time the light is actually switched out in her cell yeah. when obviously it's, it doesn't need to be on anymore. Yeah. And the door and the door without a handle in order that you know can only be open from one side and and stuff. And as somebody only needs to go through it in one direction they don't need to come through it the other yes. way because it's the, to the condemned area but there's there's lot there's all these subtleties in there i mean there are some symbolic things like you know the cigarette burning left burning as she you know goes to her execution and yep. things like that but the the 
the tiny interactions and the tiny things that are said and done and, and expressions and and things within the prison environment absolutely are, are the bits that really give this film quality above it just being a, a run-of-the-mill sort of prison drama and it is very much focused on a, a tight number of individuals but i do think that the, having the context of seeing her um in the life that she had leading up to it where she is you know doing the glamour thing and not just telling the story of how she got into the situation she is but also the the radical juxtaposition of of the life that she had and the, and the current prison life and the 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 way that she's acting as a not just acting as an actress but also behaving as a as a character in those flashbacks and then how she's become a lot more considered and thoughtful and um less of a of a bimbo because she's just focused the rest of her time when she's actually in the flashback it is very much this she's got an obsession with this guy jim that we mentioned about yeah she, and she can't understand why he's got um an unrequited obsession with another woman mm. despite not being able to recognize that she's got an, an unrequited, obs- unrequited <laughs> obsession herself with him um which you know it's a, that that, that you know, is a is a message in itself, really. But um, I think that showing how she's looking back on that and actually picking over everything that happened and everything everything that led to where she is, and the fact that asked whether she you know regretted it, and she couldn't say that no. she regretted doing what she did. She regretted where she ended up, but she didn't regret what she'd done. And that was the. I think that quite key to why there needed to be the flashback, but I completely appreciate what you're saying that the the value in it is in the prison set pieces, yeah. which which do you know give us the acting and they do give us the story, they do give us the subtlety, they do give us the the better human you know interactions because the people who are actually prison prison, prison officers are actually the better actresses than the the people who are in the, the flashbacks. Right. To be fair, That's... so that probably helps as well. Um, <laughs> Well, despite, but yeah, mm. I think I think using flashbacks doesn't always work, and sometimes disrupts a, a plot. And I think they got away with it with this without it actually being disruptive. It's, it's an so. important part of it. We we do mm. need to know what led up to you know the, the reason why she shot the the other lady. But despite the whole nature of the story here, the whole <laughs> plot line, I didn't find it a depressing movie. Yeah, I should have done. You know, bearing in mind what was going on, but also what what the script writer and the director have cleverly done is you know she's killed somebody from the start as you say you know she's guilty but you end up feeling sorry for her there's real sorrow in in your reaction to her even though you know she's a cold-blooded killer yeah I mean, well cold-blooded might i don't know not sure because it was you know crime of passion perhaps in, yeah. a, in a way but how much of it was was revenge for her and how much of it was revenge for um for somebody else is a different matter but i think that Yes, you know that she's condemned right from the beginning. You know that she's. Um, I don't think I, I didn't feel at any point that I was expecting that that she was going to get a reprieve. And no. I don't know whether this is spoiling it by by saying you know because I think we've already indicated that she she, she goes to her death. Right. Um, and I think that would ha- that perhaps has to happen because of the the nature of the debate around it at the time. I think it, it would have caused too much of a pushback if they'd portrayed somebody getting away with it and it wouldn't uh, they were trying to engender more more sympathy or thoughtfulness about whether that was deserved in the context so 
but yes, you you know that she's she's condemned, and the more you get to know, and you know more you get to know about why she did things, the more you're thinking, is that the right actually outcome for her? Yeah. And I I, I can completely uh, agree with you there, where you're coming from, that you 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 grow to sympathise with her and think, mm. yeah, there's there's more to this, and it's not a black and white issue really. I'm just trying to imagine what the reaction would have been at the time, like you say, with the Ruth Ellis case only being sort of 12 months before. And and public reaction to capital punishment, I believe, was, you know, that, that they wanted it to be abolished at this point in time. And so you've got this, this sort of um, cinematic evidence of what actually goes on in a, in, in a prison, in the lead-up uh. to somebody's death. And... It's, it's it's quite harsh, you know. It is a very harsh environment. But as we said, it affects not only the person that is about to be executed, but there's all the people that do. There was a, a prison female prison officer that comes in who's volunteered for the afternoon because Yvonne Mitchell is off at her mother's funeral. Mm. And, and she's yeah. never, you know, done this sort of duty before. And, and Diana Dawes comes in and says, don't worry, I'm not going not gonna to bite you. And then she goes to the wrong door, you know, and then Diana Dawes snaps. It's, it's just interesting, I think, just the way everybody works. When the governor comes in, you've got the prison volunteer, that old lady that comes in, you know. Everybody's sort of interacting together. You know, you've got the nurse, the doctor, the chaplain, the volunteer, the governor. You know, everybody's trying to keep her well-being at the forefront of everything, knowing full well that in three weeks' time they're going to kill her. You know, there's but, nothing. Yeah, can do. and there's a connection between her. I mean, as you say, she she snaps at the one that's that makes that mistake with the door, and mm. you can understand why. Yeah. And there's the sympathy for her in other respects, like you know, she gets she gets given the the plant, and she can't actually put it anywhere next to the yes. bed because she hasn't got her anywhere. You know, there's nowhere next to the bed for her to actually put anything. But I mean, there's early on when the the, the one of the prison officers is having a cigarette and the the superior walks in and just as she's walking in, <laughs> Diana Dawes snatches the cigarette and pretends she was smoking it, it so that the prison officers don't get in trouble. And yeah. there's that kind of mutual reliance upon each other to sort of both help each other through this this situation, um, which is an awful situation. But um, it's, it's that it's that relationship that could have been maybe developed a little bit more if there's any criticism of it, that, like you say. But the, the film was kept at a condensed length yeah. and was perhaps a length that was, you know, average for the time i would imagine um so elongating it out with extra scenes to do with the interaction between her and the, the guards and um would have been welcome for us now but maybe at the time it would have um would have made it too long for the for the audiences at, at watching it yeah I think, I think we get enough we get a little insight into each of their characters and we also at the same time get a real insight into the the finer details the, the minutiae of what goes on in that sort of like month period or whatever, you know, they're, they're clipping her fingernails for her while she's in the bath because obviously she's not allowed any sharp objects. She can Absolutely, only eat with two, yeah. you know, she can only eat with two spoons. That was another thing, you know. She's got no knives or forks. Incredible, you know. You don't think of things like that, but it's obviously that this based on on some element of truth. All these things that must have, you know, actually gone on. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I first saw it. Again, it's one of we say this every time. Late one night on Channel Four, back in the eighties, that's when I first saw this movie. And as I say, I was aware of Diana Dawes as as older Diana Dawes, 
And I think I might have seen A Kid for Two Farthings or one of the early stuff, that you know, early movies that she'd done a couple of years before, perhaps. Um, and this was being billed at the time as this great dramatic British movie, you know, classic 50s British movie with a towering performance by, Anna Dawes, by Diana Dawes. And as I say, that was 30 years ago. I probably watched it, probably longer. And I loved it. I've watched this a couple of times, three or four times possibly now. And it just gets better every time I watch it. And her performance gets better in my eyes every time I see it. I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to go back to it and, and watch it again. I, I will. And um, the thing is that not only is it a film I can recommend to the right people, but the, the fact of the matter is that watching it again, it's one of those things that because of the subtleties that are in there, I'll be able to watch it again and get something extra out of it yeah. each time. Mm. Rather than rather than being familiar and me knowing I'm going to in, enjoy it and that aspect being the only part of it, because there are some films like that you'll watch again, and but you won't see anything new in them. Yeah. Whereas this, I think, for the next two three watches mm-hmm. of it, I think I will I will pick bits up and there'll be bits I've forgotten about which I'll go oh I've forgotten about yeah. that little thing with yeah. the the pot plant or that that bit with the um the door only mm. opening one way and stuff, but. Yeah, it's 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 a film that I will go back to, absolutely. Um, I will recommend to anybody that's got a, a passing interest in Diana Dawes is a great autobiography called Come By Sunday, and it just details right from early life. She had quite a domineering mother that pushed her towards fame, um, that you know put her into beauty pageants and things like that. Um, and it goes through her brief time in Hollywood where she was... She was having an affair with Rod Steiger. She was married to Richard Dawson, of all people. Now, Richard Dawson was the original host of Family Fortunes or Family Feud in America. That you will probably know as the guy... You know the Arnold Schwarzenegger film, The Running Man? Yeah. He's the guy that's the host of the show. It's time to start running. It's him. She was married married to Richard Dawson. Uh, He was in Hogan's Heroes as well, I think, you know, back in the 50s. Um, as I say, and she was seeing Rod Steiger. She was married or going out with Mr. Teasy Weezy, the famous celebrity hairdresser of the of the fifties. You know, she's had this real up and down life, and and tragically, I mean, she was only in her fifties when she died of cancer. And do you remember that time when you know early eighties when she passed away and how heartbroken her husband was? And he ended up shooting himself, didn't he? A few weeks later, Adam, I, Adam I, see, I, I remember there being something like that happen yeah. um, following her death because I do remember it being. It being sort of in the public eye about her death and, mm. and sort of, um, you know, the whole aspect, unfortunately, at the time, they were still doing the, you know, Britain's answer to Marilyn Monroe thing, <laughs> yeah. um, which, you know, probably pissed her off in a, a, a lifetime to an extent, but it gave her a career if people, if that was all they were going to give her. But yes, like you, I mean, I'd, you know, at that time and for quite a while, it's only within the, probably the last. 10, 15 years, I've realised that she wasn't the just the the bawdy, buxom yep. sort of aging, aging, <laughs> aging glamour woman in some sex comedies. She, you know, yeah. she actually has credibility in her past. Definitely. Um, and this is this is the peak of her credibility. And yeah. um, as far as my rating system goes, then yep. I, I would I would recommend that people make a point of of trying to see it. It's not for everybody because there are some people who wouldn't want to watch a prison drama. But I think <laughs> yeah. there's I think there's, you know, if you've got a, an ability to be able to watch, to some extent, a slow burner um, of a of a film that's got intricacies in it, that has got that quality, it's not 
Um, all it's not got any big flashbangs and and wallops apart from the shooting at the beginning. Yeah. Um, then this is a, a quality film that you, you know you should, should go out your way to try and see. Uh, record it next time it's on television and uh, and have a watch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would recommend it, and I will be watching it again. Excellent. So, and thank you to actually bringing it to my attention. And that's um, the one of the one of the bonuses of this show, other than <laughs> talking to your wonderful self, is thank the fact you. that I, I do discover <laughs> some films that I've not seen before, as well as sometimes rediscovering films I'd forgotten about. Yeah, I'm so. surprised you hadn't seen it. Actually, I thought that no, might have been one well. that you'd have yeah. you'd have seen. It's almost bearing in mind what you were just saying there. I just suddenly thought it's almost almost like a film noir in a way. You know, oh, it's got elements of it, yeah. Isn't it? Femme Fatale yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And I, I do need to mention, I almost forgot, we've got a new inductee into the Village Hall of Fame in this movie. Blink and you'll miss him. The guy who plays the lawyer is right. <laughs> is Charles Lloyd Pack, Roger Lloyd Pack's father. He's oh, in this again. Right. Um, we saw him in Bedazzled. Yeah. And an episode that Tony and I recorded, The Man Who Haunted Himself with Roger Moore, he was in that. So it's the third appearance for Charles Lloyd Pack who who gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. So it's, it's another one of those ones that you know I was expecting Sid James to be in there or Peter Sellers or John Mills or somebody, you know. But we're getting all these bit part actors that are being inducted because they were in every single British movie. That's what. Well, this, yeah, I mean, this is it. There's you know. A, a... Instead of a cast of thousands, it was a cast of a thousand, and um, they were, you know, they were used interchangeably as, yep. as supporting characters in all the films. Yeah. Um, so absolutely, yeah, that's probably the way we're going to keep seeing this progress. That it's not going to be the, the big names that are in the Village yeah. Hall of Fame. It's going to be these, uh, well, these people who played the support yeah, roles. Michael Ripper, people like that. You know, the ones that you recognise the face, or the guy that played the husband. You recognise the face, and then we'll be watching a film in a few weeks' time, and it'll be, oh, it's him, he's in it again, you know, without realising, they're just there. I, I love that part of the, you know, the whole thing that, you know, there was the Rank Studio, the Elstree and all that lot, but all the actors were all all together. There was this this very small pool of, <laughs> of talent, but it works so well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Five-star movie for me, it just gets better every time I see it, and her performance just gets better every single time. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it, mate. Um Absolutely, I, it's it's definitely one for. It, it looks like it's going to crop up on Talking Pictures TV a few times. So yeah, keep an eye out for it if you haven't seen it. And I'm going to go back. I mean, I've seen a fair few Diana Dawes movies, but I'm going to go and pick out some of the ones that I haven't seen now as well. And and we'll probably bring a few more in the future. I think it's definitely worth having a little look just to compare. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's, it'd be worth reinvestigating um, her um, back catalogue and um, you know the you doing that and i'll keep an eye out if there's any i, I happen upon yeah and um you know i i wouldn't be surprised for a future film that we actually do in in the coming years to be um having her in not just as a a bit part but actually as as you know in a more starring role yeah yeah well she'll be in the hall of fame before long because this is her second appearance because she had the bit part in theater of blood which is a typical First, example yeah. of what you're saying yeah yeah Okay, we'll take a short break and we'll be back with Issue or Choice, I believe, for what we'll be watching next time. Yield to the Night was my best film. I mean, it's the only film I can really point to with pride. and uh, you know, All the rest, to me, have been total rubbish. And that's ruined me for any <laughs> film in the future, any producer that's watching. <laughs> However, uh, Yield to the Night, in actual fact, uh, I don't know, those of you who are 
old enough to remember it. I mean, no, it was a very serious subject. It was all about you know, a poor woman who was hanged. It wasn't about Ruth Ellis, as everybody thought. But in fact, this particular story didn't happen on Yield of the Night because people are always saying, well, have you any interesting anecdotes to tell about certain films? Anything funny ever happened on set and so on? Well, nothing really funny ever happened on that film. But something really very funny happened on the film after, which, strangely enough, I wasn't in. The director, obviously having worked with me on that, decided he couldn't stand it again. <laughs> so, Jaylee Thompson is his name, and he's yes. a brilliant director. And immediately after he'd finished Deal to the Night, he went on to a film called Woman in a Dressing Gown, which was a, an equally Yvonne big Mitchell. success. Yvonne Mitchell starred in it. And there was a young actress in it, Starlet, who shall be nameless because sadly she has passed away since then. And she was a very intense young lady, very glamorous, very pretty. And she was supposed to be playing a sort of rather blousy, um, scrubby kind of bird who lived upstairs. And she wasn't meant to look glamorous, which, of course, was her ideal opportunity to show that she could act and that uh, she didn't need to be made up and so on. And so her first morning on set, she arrived looking as though she'd just stepped out of a bandbox. I mean, hair, not a hair out of place, eyelashes curled up to her eyebrows, uh, beautifully dressed, absolutely perfect, which, of course, was quite wrong for the part. And Jaylee Thompson went berserk and said, take her away, do something with her, get that makeup off, muss her hair up, put her in old clothes. And she said, no, no, I can't appear like that. And he said, of course you can, that's the part. I mean, and, and they had this awful row on set and she burst into tears and there was no way she was going to appear like this. And Lee got more and more upset and the two of them were at it hammer and tongs. And finally, Lee stamped his foot at her and he said, do you realize that Diana Dawes went through Yield to the Night without a vestige of makeup, her hair darkened down and so on? He said, and you, he said, are you an actress or aren't you? And she said, I'm not an actress, I'm a star. <laughs> That was Yield to the Night. It's going to be Stephen's choice for me next time we get together. Fire away, sir. Well, it's a, a film from um, 1979. Ooh. It's a, a, a drama with some um, pretty good music in it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's It stars... Um, this, is a way, this is where you'll instantly get it, what it is. <laughs> um, it stars Phil Daniels. Oh, as soon as you said it's it's a drama with music I like from 1979, I knew straight away. <laughs> so for those out there, the, the audience that haven't actually uh, guessed it, it's Quadrophenia. Do you know what I like about this show? Is is I cannot predict what you're going to bring to the table. And it's just a complete different genre every single time or a different era. You know, we had East is East as a comedy you selected. We had Bedazzled from yourself. And now we're going into the mods and the rockers. You know, Sting, um, Phil Daniels. Isn't Ray yeah, Winston's Brian in Beach, it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, well, it's the 60s, isn't it? It's, it's crying, yeah. crying out for me to talk to you about it, that film. <laughs> that's, that's great because that will be sort of in the run-up to Christmas. So that's a nice movie for me to be watching around about that sort of year, at that time of the year, I think. I take it you've seen it a fair few times. <laughs> it's the, yes, I've... <laughs> I've seen it into the double digits at the very least. Excellent. Yeah. We, we screened it at Rochester Kino a couple of years ago on the big screen, and and the local scooter society turned up as well. You know, so that was quite. We'll talk about that when we when we review the movie. So, yeah, a lot of history with that film. I actually know one of the guys in it in the, in the background as well, so I can tell nice. you. Yeah, yeah. So, excellent choice. And I will blow my own trumpet and say excellent choice for this week. I enjoyed actually watching. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well done. I mean, as I said, the um, bringing it to my attention, I am surprised at myself for not having seen it. I've heard, I'd heard of it, but mm. I didn't. I'd never really paid much attention to go back to it. So the fact that you brought it, you know, to the table for me to actually sit down and watch, um, fantastic that I've now seen it, and that's you know, a great experience, and it was. It was something I really, really got a lot out of watching. One to shout from the rooftops, mate. Although it's her most famous film, I don't think it's talked about enough, to be honest. And I think people should be seeing this film and, and just praising, you know, from the rooftops, that woman's performance in this film. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to leave it there for this episode. You can download the episodes at all the usual places. Just Google Real Britannia. I haven't got the list on me, Stephen. I can't remember them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being there again today, my friend. I shall see you next week, hopefully. Hopefully, man. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. See you soon. Cheers. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.